Hey everyone, it's MJ from the Edit Bay here, and you get to spend an entire episode with me because MJ forgot to change his microphone in Audacity, so he was recording from a crappy little headphone mic. So there's a couple instances where I turn my head away from the microphone and there's a little bit of a Doppler effect, but other than that, I think it's listenable, it's just not the quality that um, the episode usually has as far as audio, but I think there's really good analysis in here and it's certainly not one we wanted to record again. So here is an entire episode featuring MJ from the Edit Bay as a sub-in co-host. Is it a tiger? No. Is it a shark? Yes, Welcome back to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film, Jaws, one minute at a time or thereabouts. I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I am Sarah Buttery. And uh, for the second week in a row, it is just us. Uh, We have no guest to introduce or anything. So we're going to get stuck in straight away and start talking about this next minute from Jaws. Um, so the scene that we are talking about today, uh, the timestamp is 53 minutes and 31 seconds up to 54 minutes and 47 seconds. We have still not made it to the hour mark. Uh, you love to see it. Um, okay. So in this scene, it's, uh, after that confrontation with Larry, uh, between Brody and Hooper, and now we're sort of seeing the the gravity of the situation uh, really start to hit as we see all the boats of tourists arriving. There are some stalls uh, selling shark souvenirs, really cashing in on this uh, Shark City uh, label that they can add to Amity. And it cuts uh, pretty rapidly between the, the the tourists and the boats and the sort of idyllic scenes of Amity uh, back at sort of Brody HQ, let's call it. We have uh, Martin, (laughs) Ellen and Hooper all on the phone uh, at various points (laughs) trying to get the situation under control um, as people are continuing to arrive. So that's that's pretty much it. Um, There's a lot of cuts and a lot of edits in this in this scene so i have a feeling we'll be talking about the wonderful work of uh verna fields quite a bit uh in this scene because it's it's really it's really great it's it's really well paced and well edited so um we'll we'll get stuck into all of that but uh mj you can you can start us off with anything that you that you picked up on in this week's scene so i don't know if i talked about this on um, this podcast but I am notoriously very bad at film music, um, by which I mean, this is going to sound weird because I'm an audio engineer by trade, and I like mainly do live music as my, my main engineering. Um, I almost never notice music cues in movies. <laughs> like, I never connect to like what the music is telling me to 
feel. I will feel the same emotion, but I do it through the visuals and the dialogue way more than the music for some reason. I I don't know. It's just something, some about the way my brain works when it's watching a movie that it almost <laughs> never picks up on the music, hmm. uh, which is like a massive part of almost every movie ever. Um, Jaws, obviously, an exception, especially oh, most of the work of John Williams, an exception, like Star Wars, and yeah, there's so many iconic John Williams things, you know. But, uh, but for the most part, I, I don't remember a lot of film music um that said this scene might be my favorite film music ever i love this song <laughs> that he composed for this montage it's so jaunty and like it just fits the tone of what's going on so well but it's so out of place with what this movie actually is about <laughs> and what's potentially going to happen mm. that it's like it's it's it fits really well the tone of what is happening but it's also like very darkly funny and i like that a lot this this uh music cue is really good it's one of my favorite john williams pieces i think it's great um and it ma- it makes me laugh every time it happens because it's just like this massive tonal shift in the middle of the movie, <laughs> um, sandwiched between like absolute chaos. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I just really like that it takes such a chance because it, it's a very risky thing to do that. You know, I feel like any other movie like this would underscore this with like an ominous which it starts off, you know, a little bit, um, but it would maintain that ominous tone throughout of um, underscoring like, hey, lunch has arrived, you know? But here, it's almost from their perspective where like, this has been so buried by those in charge of Amity. These people have no idea what they're getting into. They're just showing up for a good time on the 4th of July like they do every year at Amity. Um, so it's it's really this neat perspective shift because we don't have any like named characters or characters who have like discernible lines in this mm. um, who are who are tourists, and so we're able to convey their point of view just through the instrumental music, and I think that's really neat. Mm. Yeah, I'm so glad this is where you went first because this was something I was dying to talk about and the the subtitle for this piece of music is Cheerful Instrumental Music, uh, which exactly is that. <laughs> and it's so cheerful as well, almost like it, jarringly cheerful uh, given things we've just seen and the things about to happen as well. And I don't know if this is just me, but I got a real uh clockwork orange vibe from the way this music was used in this scene um mm-hmm. i don't know if that sounds completely insane or not but something that that film does is really plays with that juxtaposition of classical music and and accompanying uh the sort of the use of that music is scenes which are very very violent and graphic and it plays with that and in a very darkly comedic way as well and this obviously doesn't go 
quite to the extremes uh, of of that film, which uh, really takes uh, beloved uh, pieces of classical music and existing pieces of classical music and then puts them over scenes which you will then never be able to hear that song or piece of music in the same way again. Um, so this scene doesn't do that, and obviously this is original piece of music. But So do, do you know the title? Do, do you know the title of this track? No, but I'm I'm super intrigued to know. It's called Promenade Parentheses Tourists on the Menu. <laughs> I love that. I was trying to find the name of the track, but I I couldn't see it on the the soundtrack version that is on Spotify. But that's therefore not mine. Um, that's very funny. It sounds yes. <laughs> Do you not think though that this piece this is gonna? Oh, I hope I can explain this properly. But like this piece of music sounds like it could be an existing piece of classical music. I yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know my classical music well enough to be like, oh, it's in the style of bloody blah, but it doesn't sound like a John Williams score. It doesn't sound like any other piece of music from this film. It sounds like you like you could tell me this was, you know, Beethoven or whoever and I would fully believe it. Um because it just sounds completely unlike anything else in this film and I think that's so great and I I love the way this sort of uh, cheerful and upbeat, uh, jaunty, as you said, piece of music plays out over these scenes. And it doesn't, the music doesn't change when it sort of cuts between the very, very tense and frantic situation that is going on at Brody HQ and then the sort of lovely, sunny beaches, docks, people arriving. It doesn't sort of like switch to sound like more dramatic in in certain places it quietens down a bit in the mix i think um i think that's mostly just so we can hear the the characters talking um but it seems a lot louder when it's uh with the shots of the tourists arriving i think anyway that might just you can probably confirm or deny that <laughs> uh i didn't notice and I mean, I could see them doing that mm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I because there's a lot of dialogue happening um, between Ellen Brody and Hooper. I think that if you had the really, really loud music on top of that as well, it would just be a bit of a mess. And it's I, I mean, I'm not the expert on these things. This is very much your area, but I thought the the way that the the scenes at Brody HQ, the way they're mixed, I thought was actually really, really good. And I think that's a hard type of scene to mix as well when it's like a lot of characters mm-hmm. talking at once. But you can pick out what each of each of them are saying. Like you really have to listen. Um and on my several watches of this scene I was like, let me listen to Ellen now. Let me listen to Hooper now. Let me listen to Brody now just so I could pick out um what each of them were saying. But you can hear it. It's not it's not one person is not kind of like quieter than another. So they seem to have got that balance like just right, or to my ears anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's super hard to find that balance of like yeah. people talking over each other. Actually, an example that to to my ears is kind of bad. It works a little bit better in the movie, but on the soundtrack, mm. um oh gosh what's uh i gotta look up the name of that 
Okay, give me a second. Give me a second. Give me a second. Okay, yeah. So um, on the Hamilton soundtrack, Farmer Refuted, which is the part with Samuel Seabury where he's yeah. like doing the declaration. And then at the end of the track, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda as Hamilton is like rapping over him singing. Mm. I have never understood until I watched the movie what Lin-Manuel Miranda was saying. <laughs> um, it's just so muddied into what, and I think the other issue there too is you've heard Samuel Seabury sing this twice now. Mm. And so that's more in your head. You're just more familiar with that pattern. So your brain defaults to listening to that over what Hamilton's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's mixed really poorly on the original soundtrack recording. It's not... It's not as prominent. They need to bring Lynn's track above Samuel Seabree's track because yeah. you're now familiar with it. And so it's always been really muddy. My wife has the same issue. So uh, it's not just me mm. with it, but it's it's really tough to mix this overlapping dialogue like that. But yeah, I, I did notice that too, because it's actually where my brain went first when they were doing this is like, oh, this is like the Hamilton thing done correctly. And mm. like, 40 years beforehand so they had no excuse yeah that actually that is a perfect example because what that um track does and i think i think you're right i think that in the the mix in the the sort of film version of it is clearer um to pick out what both are saying um but it what the the overlapping talking singing does in that track is at certain times you get the effect of like them finishing the other one sentence um mm-hmm. where sort of like things like perfectly co- coincide and it sounds like it's sort of like one conversation but also two um and that kind of happens at one point <laughs> at one point um in this scene which i i've never really picked up on exactly what they're saying before but I, I i got the script and there's some mistakes in the this version of the script that we're looking at but i will not hold that against mm. them um so hooper is is saying uh i don't know who he's on the phone to presumably someone at the institute or someone who wants him to to leave because at the start he sort of talks about oh no he says doctor okay so he's talking to <laughs> some doctor uh no need for me to come to brisbane when i've got a great white shark here but then later he's uh he's talking about a guy called Mishkin and he's like Mishkin is mm-hmm. the guy that feeds the white mice um that's really funny just as a line um but then it sort of like overlaps a little bit sort of in perfect time with Brody saying like Brody saying he's the little guy with the crew cut so they're obviously yeah. they're on two di- like different calls they're talking about two different people um but it works really well just like the timing of it and the mix of it as well that it's like Hooper having his the conversation with whoever about this guy Mishkin and then Brody having a conversation about uh another I think it's another police officer that he's trying to see if if they're available um refers to him as like the little guy with the crew car it's just really it's really well done <laughs> I think I think that's the the best example in this scene but yeah it absolutely has that same effect as that uh as that track in Hamilton so that's a a good a good comparison to make I think yeah, I think there's also um, the, the the scenes of them overlapping. The whole montage has a really great energy about it. It's just very, like, lively and on its feet and bouncing around. And you get a lot, like you said, there's a lot of shots. Um, there's a lot of uh, uh, stuff going on. There's a lot of movement from one side of the camera to the other, one side of the frame to the other. There's a lot of 
like people like I'm looking at a still right now where Brody, uh, Sean, is it Sean? Yeah. That's in on the couch with them. Brody, Sean, Cooper, and Ellen are all in the scene and they're all looking in four different directions. <laughs> like their eye lines are, are all co- like complete chaos. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really great. I love the chaotic nature of it where it's just like, hey, it's go time. This is happening. We've got to pull together meager resources quick. But at the same time, I've got my family and they are a part of this. You know, I, I love that that this is a problem that has quite literally invaded Brody's home now. Mm. Um, this mm. is this is something that is happening in front of his kids. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was something that was happening in front of Ellen before, like we saw in the dinner scene. But now, I mean, his kids aren't involved, obviously. They sort of will be fairly soon. Mm. But... Um, the, it, it just has has it, it's taken over so much of Brody's life at this point um, because of the poor leadership of Mayor Vaughn. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, the the chaotic energy in this, I think a, a lot of it is in is in the editing, and it's really cleverly mm-hmm. edited as well. So obviously, with all the overlapping conversation, and, and like you said, you know, in, in one particular shot, they're all like looking off in four different directions, and it's there's a lot of stuff happening, but it isn't it isn't then like when it cuts to the tourists, you're not sort of like, oh, this is lovely, this is a nice bit of respite because it moves around so quickly, and also like maybe this is just effects of pandemic, but me seeing like that many people crowded into one place, I was like, oh. <laughs> I feel anxious. <laughs> like you're all like those that's people. a petri dish. <laughs> yeah, I was like that was almost not quite, but almost as chaotic as like the scene that's happening at at Brody's. But it is sort of this balance of like this is the the public, you know, what the public are seeing. You know, the tourists are arriving. Everything is sunny and lovely and wonderful. And here is like the chaos happening behind the scenes. But both parts of this scene are equally chaotic to me, particularly as we know what we know. Uh, we've been involved in all of the conversations that have happened in this film, uh, or all the ones shown on screen anyway. And and having just had that confrontation with. Larry, we're now watching all these people arrive and it's just like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there um there's so many people on that ferry. <laughs> there's so many people on that ferry. Too many. Way too many. Yeah, I I think it's also interesting that when it shows the shark souvenir, they're selling the jaws of like the fake jaws of the shark yeah. right next to the American flags. Uh, it, there's something about that that feels awful timely of just like throwing caution to the wind of the threat, but also that's the American way. Um, <laughs> Capitalism. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I guess that summed up what I was trying to say better than what I... Uh, I took the long way there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, but we were saying, like, Larry as, like, a shrewd businessman rather than, you know, this being a thing that could derail Amity because, you know, this, this threat of the shark, like, find a way to monetize it and... and 
capitalize on all these people coming anyway still keep people safe don't make them go in the sea like he does uh next scene but you know it's it's kind of smart like you know they've got that big old shark you know if they can find a way of making it not stink up the entire island you know you charge people like a dollar like come and have your picture taken with the shark or something they're selling the shark jaws and all these sort of things like i don't know pretty poor taste but t-shirts like i survived the shark attack on amity or something um (laughs) you know there there's ways of still making money and it's interesting that we see sort of like small hints of that in this scene it's not i think you know to the extent that that is going to be what keeps amity afloat but the potential was was there and also like how quickly did they turn around those shark souvenirs as well like i'm kind of impressed yeah right <laughs> someone just broke into quinn's place and stole a bunch of stuff <laughs> yoink just like the dead <laughs> of night <laughs> no ben gardner's place sorry that would be the easier place to break into right now I oh know. sure as he's dead um <laughs> yep r.i.p <laughs> shout out to ben gardner um <clears throat> yeah i uh i really like that line i'm glad you said it of him talking about the little guy with the crew cut that made me laugh it's so good <laughs> um yeah so I, you told me in our dms that you have some 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 visual example some some evidence to present and i have to be honest while i was watching this scene i didn't understand what you were talking about so no this doesn't bode well i would i would like to see you didn't tell me the specifics of what they were so i am finding out now for the first time Mm -hmm. because i i watched it and I, i will say I saw a handful of people in yellow, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. But I didn't see anything too out of the ordinary. Okay. I am ready, I think, <laughs> to explain myself. Um, hopefully, anyway. So this uh, section of my notes is uh, underlined uh, Murica. Uh, which I believe is the correct way to refer to uh, the country of America. (laughs) Um, Because obviously like up to this point, okay, we have spoken a lot about yellow and to some extent red as well. But this is the point. We are are on the cusp of 4th of July. Uh, It might even be the 4th of July this this day, I think, where everyone is arriving, or if it's not, it's the day before. Um, And what we see in these scenes particularly in the scenes with the tourists is a lot of red white and blue so my Mm -hmm. mapping out of the evidence involved me pausing it (laughs) on every shot of of tourists um and picking out all of these examples and there are some very obvious examples of these three colors together and it's really letting us know this is the 4th of july this is about america there are american flags on the thing being sold with the shark jaws there is a lot of these three colors in these scenes so this was where i was kind of heading um with (laughs) with what i said in in the dms prior to starting um 
But there is not a... If you go through... Okay. If you go through every single shot where there is Taurus, you will see those three colours. Um, sometimes all on one person or one item. So mm. I have written some of these down. Um, I've got the timestamps just in case anyone is absolutely insane and wants to look at the exact uh, <laughs> the exact moment these things appear. So 53.59.02, there is a kid in a like a stars and stripes kind of tank top uh, type of thing. He's literally like standing right there as the doors of the boat open and the people get off. Um, so he is right there. Then at 54.11.09, there is a, <laughs> a girl who is wearing red, white, and blue, like, check pants. It's a real, it's a real 70s choice, but it's, uh, <sighs> it's certainly there. And then I've not got the, uh, the exact, exact timestamp of this, but 54.29, we see the sign that says sightseeing, tours, bikes, car rental. Um, that sign is red, white, and blue uh 5434 there is a red white and blue striped bike um 5443 there are we see two storefronts and one of them is white with red shutters and the one immediately next door to that has like bright blue windows so what i'm saying is there is a lot uh of (laughs) these colors in this scene and let me get the where i think i reached peak insanity whilst i was watching this um I've titled this uh, image Exhibit A. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that is the clearest picture in the world, but basically circle on the left has a lady who has got like a a headscarf on that is like blue with kind of like white Mm -hmm. dots or stars or some kind of pattern. And then like just to the right of that, there is a lady with a lovely red bandana on and her like basket on the front of her bike is like red and white stripes. I oh, mm-hmm. rest yeah, I my case. <laughs> I don't know what my case is, but it is rested. <laughs> um, so, speaking of that, are you familiar with the lady in the dunes? Uh, Do you know what that... No. Do you know what that is? Nope. Okay. <laughs> so, the lady in the dunes is uh, a... A, a dead woman um okay and it is a cold case from 1974 and uh she was found in the dunes of provincetown um, which is 50 miles away from Martha's Vineyard. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's an unsolved case, but there is, uh, and, and I believe, yes. So th- the body was unrecognizable when they found it. Mm-hmm. Um, however, they were able to using cat scans of the woman's remains mm-hmm. construct a composite of what she potentially looked like. Hmm. Why am I saying this? Because <laughs> I'm intrigued. Joe Hill, the son 
of Stephen King believes that the Lady of the Dunes is in this sequence. Oh, someone sent me this recently on Twitter. I have a terrible memory. I read the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So on... On my digital copy, according to most articles, it says she can be seen at 54 minutes and two seconds. I'm sure we'll post the image on Twitter so people don't have to look for it. It's readily available (laughs) online. Um, On the digital copy I have, she appears at 54 minutes and six seconds. She's wearing white with a blue bandana and blue pants Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, next to a lady in red. Um, See? (laughs) And uh, she's standing behind a guy in a pink shirt and a guy in a striped shirt and a woman in sort of a plaid dress. Um, so there's not, there's, there's not a lot of evidence that, that this is necessarily her, but the length of hair and the face looks very similar to that composite. Interesting. Yep. So I don't think there's been any movement on this besides Joe Hill in 2015 going, hey, that's weird. She looks kind of like the lady in the Dunes composite. (laughs) This is now a true crime uh, podcast where we (laughs) try and solve this. (laughs) Last Giles podcast on the left. (laughs) Yeah. Look, see, it's not just, you know, this this is a theory that has probably had a lot more uh, that has gone into it than me just picking out all the examples of where there is a deconstructed American flag and two women's outfits in this uh, in this particular bit of jewels, the bit that I sent you that I have circled. Um, but I think that yeah, where I was probably heading with that, I think, um, is the not just the sort of the visual clues this film is, you know, leaving as notifying us of, of what holiday, you know, this is and and why mm-hmm. that is significant, but also just when people talk about Jaws, they're like, oh, it is a American film, like through and through. That is that is part of its identity. And you couldn't just pick up this story and put it in another place. Um so I thought that might be an interesting thing to talk about because obviously I am not American, but you are. Um, And I know that 4th of July is a big deal, but I don't know if I necessarily really understand, like, exactly why. And then I guess the significance of setting the events of Jaws, like, around that time. So I... Yeah, the fact that there is an obnoxious amount of red, white, and blue in these scenes, and I think it's so obvious as well when there is literally, like, a character in every shot or several characters in that shot who are wearing these colours and they're generally kind of like front and centre and really obvious as well. Um, That there's definitely something in that and something to sort of like unpack, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, uh, the the identity of Jaws is certainly tied to America and what America is about. Mm. We've mentioned it before. This is one year before the bicentennial celebrations happened Mm. in 1976, right? Yeah. So... Everyone was pretty pro-America um, following a decade plus where they, they, they kind of super weren't um, uh, because of Vietnam and civil rights and all that stuff. And so 
um, you know, to make uh, a movie about America post-Vietnam and post the civil rights movement and just the, the, the tumult that characterized the 1960s. Mm. Um, not that the 70s were simpler or easier by any means, uh, you know, given just like the crime rates that, that are depicted in the, the gritty New York movies that came out of the decade and um, a, a pretty big economic downturn, uh, I believe, until, you know, a lot of people think Reagan, like the Reagan administration is what saved the economy in the 80s. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, it, it's it, the movies from this time, I think, fascinate people a lot. Like, we talk about 70s movies a lot mm-hmm. in, in, like, general film stuff. A lot of stuff happened. A lot of envelopes got pushed. A lot of barriers got broken. A lot of I mean, you see first films from, I mean, like Scorsese, Coppola, Spielberg, uh, you know, most most of the people who are still working today um, come up around this time and and make movies that are, I mean, all time, like Taxi Driver and The Godfather. These are all, Ridley Scott, Alien, um, Star Wars, obviously, and just revolutionize sort of the way the movie industry works mm-hmm. um, by bringing the blockbuster, making the blockbuster a, a legitimate thing. And also on the heels of, you know, the sixties were dotted and sort of defined by these big, long musicals, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. those, those, were, those, those are the 60s movies that got a lot of attention. These big three hour plus spectacle movies that, people were charging premium ticket prices for because they were running as long as plays and stuff like that. And so um, it's so interesting to see a film like Jaws that's not, it's, it's not explicitly patriotic Mm -hmm. and it definitely levels some criticisms, right? as, as Amity functions as a microcosm of the country, mm. um, particularly about leadership. And we see, by the way, I think Steven Spielberg freaking hates the government. <laughs> um, I, I think he thinks that the government has failed at just about every turn. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a through line through a lot of his movies. Mm. And he's not been subtle about it over the course of like his entire <laughs> career. And uh, so to see that, but, but what Spielberg, I think, does believe in and does kind of show off through this sequence, this is going very deep down the rabbit hole, and I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I think he believes in the human spirit. Yeah, and I think he believes in, in, in the literal perfect idea of what America claims to be and wants to do what he can to shepherd that version of America forward. And I think this montage shows it. I think, you know, the three leads of this movie show it. They operate outside the confines of this. Like he, the message of the movie is ultimately like, don't let your government define you. Um, (laughs) You know, and I think that's something that a lot of Americans had to really deal with in the last five years. Yeah. Uh, 
particularly because of social media. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, there's there's a certain view of America that was kind of hard to challenge, um, given who was in leadership. But I think at the same time, the internet has made us so global that I think a lot of people were able to reconcile, like, yes, this person was in office, and yes, that sucks, but, like, the majority of Americans I know aren't like that, and so I think he very much, I mean, before anyone, right, is is talking about this, mm-hmm. is saying, like, hey, we are not defined by one person, by one figurehead, by one person telling us what to do. Like, we will, I, you know, he believes in the power of the collective, and he believes in the power of like people coming together over the cause of doing what's right, even if it's just for it. it, Sorry, not even if it's just, let me rephrase that Um, for the greater good. Like he believes that people will come together for the greater good, no matter what in the face of a lot of stuff that you can be cynical about. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think that's why, the movie plays so well on 4th of July because it's, it's, you know, it doesn't, I don't think it lets people off the hook, but it also is a celebratory story. Ultimately it comes to a much bigger head and there's a much bigger cost of life than there should have been. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But, uh, it's still about these people overcoming Mm -hmm. in spite of that, in spite of that loss that was easily preventable like the loss of life in Vietnam. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's just one of the big reasons why the film resonates with people. And I don't know if a lot of people really have taken the time to watch the shit minute by minute and understand that <laughs> this is one of the underpinning, like really like verbalize it outwardly. Mm-hmm. But that's one of the underpinning uh, themes of this film. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm so glad that my insane like pausing of this and like picking out all the things or those things <laughs> has led to this discussion i knew this was the place that it was hopefully gonna end up so i'm glad i'm glad that this that this film has those things that just look sort of like appear like so simple and kind of like surface level and yes you can just watch this scene and it's a very quick scene as well there is a lot of a lot of those examples i read out of the red white and blue are very blink and you'll miss it but they are there and they are there for a reason and it is yeah. you know subtly or not so subtly putting a putting across that idea and everything that you've that you've just spoken about and it will never cease to amaze me how jaws is so timely and yet so timeless in that it's a 70s film through and through like so much of what it is saying and what you were saying just then about it being sort of quite overtly anti-government and particularly sort of small town politics as well i think is i mean you can sort of like blow that up onto the to the scale of things as as we have done and made a lot of comparisons to former presidents and you know certainly the pandemic situation as well and how that has been handled but it is it is really a sort of scathing look at those things and i i put out a tweet from our chores account is a bit tongue-in-cheek but like who is the real villain of this is it larry or is it the shark mm. um and absolutely delighted that the majority of people uh voted for larry because 
that is that is correct and the mm-hmm. i don't want to say that people who sort of like see this as like just a shark film or sort of like get a kick out of like shark eating people and the blood and the gore like they're not wrong because there is that level of of jaws to be enjoyed as well and i enjoy it on that level as much as the next person but jaws i really want to like hammer this point home i think jaws is not an anti-shark film it is a pro-human spirit (laughs) film that sounds really cheesy i know but it is all about how this community initially so you know the community and the wider community how they deal with this you know very rare we'll emphasize that again very rare event um yes it has happened before and they refer to the jersey attacks but that was what 1916 and this is 1975 and obviously mm-hmm. is fictional even though it is based on you know certain true things that did happen anyway yeah these these are not things that that occur often and we sort of see how this town deals with this you know unimaginable threat something they've never dealt with or or faced before and and how they deal with that to you know success sometimes and other times not but then it's in the latter part of the film that doesn't go away that notion of sort of community and the strength of the human spirit in fact it is boiled down even less to just sort of these three characters who who represent very sort of like clear uh facets of particularly masculinity and that's a a conversation we'll Mm -hmm. get into sort of once we're on the boat uh (laughs) as it were um but they also beyond that as well they they have qualities of, of 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 people of just people in general and how people react to situations and and particularly sort of bad things as well like what they what they choose to do their course of action the best way they think of dealing with it is sort of all completely natural and recognizable human emotions and reactions so there's i mean gosh there's there's so much to to unpack in this in this in this scene alone like i really and we started off sort of talking about how kind of you know like jaunty and and jarring it is but there's there really is that sense of and it shows us in the sort of the cross-cutting between the happy joyful scenes and the chaos behind the scenes as well it does sort of show you that you know here's what the people are seeing as they arrive on amity and here is what is really going on and that is an interesting thing to explore as well i think yeah i think also something that i i realized while you were talking is that the amount of red, white, and blue on display here, it also represents how these small town politics trickle up yeah. and affect, they, aff- they affect the, 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 large, the country at large. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, like, so, so it represents like, Larry's made a string of bad decisions and now it's going to affect people who don't live in Amity. Yep. This was strictly an Amity problem before, and now it is super duper not. Mm-hmm. And it's because of Larry's bad politics. Mm-hmm. And um, it, 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 it just shows how these bad decisions by people in leadership aren't inconsequential. Once again, Spielberg, not a big fan of the government. Um, you know, I think a freaking minority report, <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> uh movies super anti-government um and yeah it's it's a really 
clear way of communicating the real world consequences that these have, you know, not with shark attacks, but with other things. And that's, man, Spielberg's such a good director. This is, <laughs> how old was he when he made this? 25? Mm. Yes, yeah. Good, good lord. I know. What have I done with my life? (laughs) Golly. Uh, I just can't imagine being this smart at 25. Um, It's unreal. It really is. (laughs) It's so, and and the thing is, the thing is that that consistently blows my mind. It's got all this subtext and it's so rich and tangible and textured and layered. But it's so fun to watch like it's so entertaining and it's yeah. so good and like well performed and it's got all these things bubbling below the surface that are really like deep and heady and, and kind of like dark and cynical a little bit mm-hmm. um but also optimistic and hopeful but it's just it's like like you, the spectacle of it is so pure as well like it doesn't get diluted neither one of the, these things gets diluted by the other and like that amount of tonal control over your piece mm-hmm. is unmatched, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I just, again, I'm saying the things I always say, but like every single week when we talk, I'm like, this film is just, it's so good. It's so just unfairly good. And we are two of the most biased people ever, but I know there's a lot of people who agree with us as well. Like, this is just a perfect movie because there is all these different readings of it and i it's hard to say like if any of those readings are are wrong i think the only reading of this film that is wrong is someone who is just like this is this is a film that absolutely hates sharks and is so anti them because as we've spent the majority of time talking about in this episode this film is about so much more than than just the shark i think if if yeah. that's the only thing you take away from jaws um you're probably doing jaws wrong and i i don't mean that to sound harsh in any way but i just think that it goes to show that yes that that might be the sort of the first thing that you take away from this film and like that's a really fun movie about you know this these shark attacks and this small town and the chaos that ensues and the hunt to to catch the shark and yes this film has all of those things but it has all of these other things underneath that as well and there are so many layers and so many interesting things to discover in this film and and we're sort of mm-hmm. these are not all new things to me like these are things that i have thought about a lot and talked about a lot and i really the thing that i think irritates me the most uh, when people sort of i've not really had anyone criticize jaws but when people are like oh yeah jaws is good it's but it's like it's just about a shark isn't it and i'm like no let me get my scroll let me get my you know, 20 slide PowerPoint presentation ready about like why that is wrong. Uh, because there is, it, that's not it. That's, that's not all there is in this film. And there is just so much there and so much to get into. And I truly, I cannot believe how young Spielberg was when he made this, just how smart he is as a filmmaker to do this sort of like off the bat as well i mean this is technically obviously like jewel was before this and, and he has done, done other films as well but like this is very early like into his career this is his first kind of like, like major motion picture and there is all yeah, of his third this. movie overall or his his third theatrical release movie I guess. yes yeah dual sugarland express draws yeah yeah 
That's crazy. Isn't That's it? That's crazy because I don't like Sugarland Express. <laughs> um, I've not seen it, so I can't comment. But um, I do like Jewel a lot. But um, yeah, the, a lot of people see that as sort of like the warm up act for Jaws. Like you, you can see where he was, where <clears> he was gonna go in Jewel. There's a lot of kind of like interesting parallels between those films as well and sort of like how it builds yeah. and uses tension and the sort of like predator and prey thing that that film very clearly has going on but yeah spielberg yep. pretty pretty good director <laughs> yeah man duel's good as hell that movie's so fun so um, good. it's yeah filmed in my backyard basically um like just over mm. the hill from us uh nice on on those highways back there uh <clears throat> well and he's also so I guess it's his fourth movie overall because he had something evil, right? I was uh sure, yeah. But yeah, I by the way, when I watched this scene in prep for the podcast, I was like, I got nothing. I was like, <laughs> this is gonna be a short episode. I don't have a lot to say about this. Hold my beer. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then Sarah brought up the red, white, and blue, and I was like, this is why it's about America. And <laughs> See, there is method in my madness. I wasn't going insane. I feel vindicated. I'm so happy. <laughs> yeah, and, and, well, and it also led to like a personal realization too, where like I don't consider myself like the most like raw raw. I'm like I'm fine with America for the most part. Like we can obviously do a lot better, but I'm not like super into being from America. You know, like some people, and, and I mean, not even not even in like a a a, a way that's a little creepy um i just have like no strong feelings about like my american heritage like i don't mm. think about it a lot i don't like i, I like if people ask or listen to the show i'm obviously american but like i don't think about my place in the country i don't think about you know my family's heritage here or anything like that but what's really funny is if you look at like sort of my favorite pieces of media, which are Jaws and Hamilton, they are so intrinsically about America and like what America can be and like what the promise of in order to form a more perfect union can be about when America is at its best. And it's just super weird that I'm really into that, but I don't really think about it a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Jaws is my favorite movie, obviously, and <laughs> Hamilton is my favorite musical. I don't know what that says about me because I'm very clearly not American, but uh, we clearly have great taste. That's what I'm going to take away from that. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the thing, too, is like the, the UK, you guys seem to be really into Jaws. Like most of the diehard, maybe this is just because of you, but most of the like, diehard ride or die jaws fans who like were immediately on board with this idea yeah. for the show were all not american <laughs> and i think it's because you guys just saw it all the damn time on tv and we didn't yeah yeah my, my people they answered the call uh and uh <laughs> came on board for this podcast but it is on all the time like i think it is probably shown on tv like once a week but it will be like on one of the kind of like obscure digital channels like super late at night or something but every now and mm -hmm. again probably like once every couple of months it will be on like 9 p.m on itv2 or something and 
Um, it's always a great time because I I tend to kind of like check the Jaws hashtag around around that time, like when I see it's it's screening. And you see a lot of people like watching it for the first time, and I'm like, oh, oh this is mm. great! You're about to like just discover the greatest film of all time, and it's fun interacting with those people, sort of watching it for the first time. But yeah, it's really on a lot, and I don't think I realized how much it was on TV until I was sort of more kind of in the film twitter world because mm-hmm. generally it's sort of like you can see <laughs> suddenly like three or four people on the timeline like talking about jaws and you're like oh it must be on tv because uh the the unofficial jaws law is that if you just stumble across it when it's on tv you have to watch it um i don't make the rules but they are the rules and it's true i've been like channel hopping and i've been like oh there is jaws i guess that's my evening done now even though it's Shorting. yeah even though it will have like ad breaks and stuff and the blu-ray is like yeah. sitting on my shelf there's something just magical about finding it on tv and being like oh my favorite thing i'm gonna watch it <laughs> yeah you know what i'm that way with uh school of rock oh if, what a if film. i see school of rock on tv i just oh well that's a decision that's already been made for me yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> goodbye other plans i had <laughs> Yeah, there was one time uh, I was at work and the, 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 the fairly large company I was a contractor at had TVs in all the break rooms. And they were often just kind of on news stations uh, like TMN. Unfortunately, where I live in my part of the country, a lot of Fox News. Um, but I walked in the break room to get some water one time and... For some reason, it was on AMC and School of Rock was on. And I was like, oh, I need to leave this break room before I waste my work day finishing School of Rock because it will happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's so strange to me to bring it back to Jaws. It's so strange to me that a movie so intrinsically American is so popular in the UK and just is on TV all the time for you guys. Yeah. Like, like, I don't. Is someone trying to like suggest some stuff who's in charge of programming of like <laughs> hey no they they, they kind of had the right idea like yeah i don't know it's it's i i would love to know why it's on so much i guess just obviously like it's super popular and they wouldn't keep putting it on if it didn't get the views each time but i think yeah. that you the two crowds you get who sort of tune in to watch it are the sort of like diehards who are like oh jaws is on tv i'll watch it again because that's what i always do when it's on tv and like I said, you then you if it's on at sort of like a prime slot as well, it's often on like Saturday evenings, the sort of like later evening wow. movie, and you have people, you know, there's nothing else on. They're flicking through the channels and they're like, oh, cool, a movie. Let me watch that, and and they'll sit and watch it. And it's not too long either. It's like right around the two hour yeah. mark, so it's not like a huge commitment. I think sometimes like. <laughs> It's it's a good you can just watch when you're in any mood kind of film and that's just not just me saying that as like a diehard Jaws fan but there's it's not you don't have to think too much when you're watching it like you can yeah <laughs> after us having this very deep conversation about it but like you can just enjoy it on like surface level entertainment because yeah that it, it, that's what it is it has all the makings of what makes a great blockbuster and a, and a great film and it has all of those things in it and it's absolutely fine to just enjoy those things and have a, a rollicking good time with it. And it's also fine to 
you know, do what we're doing and go like super, super in depth on, on these really small little moments. And there's, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I've never really figured out what exactly the appeal of it is specifically in the UK, but I mean, I'm happy about it because it means that I can find my favorite film on TV like pretty regularly. So, <laughs> Well, and also the biggest thing I'm jealous about is that you get to go see it at the theater when it's open yeah. on 4th of July. Yeah. None of the theaters here do that. Which is insane. And shout out to the best cinema in London, uh, the Prince Charles Cinema. They show it every 4th of July and... I I didn't go last year because obviously pandemic, but I have been every other year before that. Um, They normally have it in like a week long run, I think actually, like the Jaws week. Yeah, like the the whatever it is, 1st of July till the 7th or something like that, the the week that Jaws takes place. Um, They have it on. They had, I did like a... um, they had like a beer and pizza screen in a bit as well, where like with the price of the ticket, you also got like a beer and a pizza um and what a great time honestly (laughs) it's so it's so much fun like seeing it at the cinema is so good and they like i said on the episode martin was on they did it in a double bill with jurassic park as well like they it's it's shown a lot and i've seen it at the cinema a lot as well which i'm i'm very thankful for but that is wild to me that they don't do the same thing in america It doesn't make sense i there aren't other fourth of july movies that anyone talks about here by the way (laughs) Like, it's like, the, I mean, Independence Day. Sure. But they don't show that. They don't show that at the theater either. <laughs> so I don't know why they don't do stuff like that. It doesn't make sense to me. Do they show Groundhog Day on Groundhog Day? Nope. Look, I think that <laughs> everyone needs to to come to London and go to the Prince Charles Cinema because they have got a, they do very well with their programming. They show... Groundhog Day, every Groundhog Day. I think they show Independence Aww. Day on the fourth as well. Like they're really good with their programming. Um, big fan. Yeah, the, <laughs> I mean, even even somewhere like uh, the New Beverly, right? Quentin Tarantino owns the damn theater. Mm. And in the years that I have followed the New Bev schedule, uh, they have shown Jaws. They have shown Jaws one time. As a double bill with the birds. <laughs> sure. Anyway, yeah. Uh, dear American theaters, uh, d- start showing jobs <laughs> more, please. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know how much power we hold over these things, but we should, uh, we should try and make that happen. <laughs> yeah. We'll write to Mr. Tarantino and uh, see what he says. <laughs> um okay did did you have anything else in in this scene or have we uh have we fully exhausted all of the things that is going on um no uh i yeah that's that's about it i uh america's pretty cool when it can't like when when it's the best part when it's the best way it can be that was very ineloquent yeah america at its best is pretty great is what i'm trying to say pretty pretty great pretty great country pretty great movie um okay yep. that's, that's where we'll leave it for this week um uh so you can find us 
on Twitter at Jaws for a minute. You can find me at Sarah Buttery and you can find MJ at MJSmith891. Um, you can also send us an email. Our DMs are open on Twitter, so you can message us on there. Um, or you, if you've got something longer or more details you want to send us, then you could do that on email. Uh, Jaws for a minute at gmail.com. Um, MJ, did you have anything that you wanted to, to plug this week or mention just as we wrap up? Uh, everyone watch Duel if you haven't seen it. I think it's an underseen Spielberg movie. Also, Sarah, watch Tintin. <laughs> okay. I, I, we came so close to watching it last week. Like, Martin was like, we should watch it. And then it just didn't happen for some reason. So, okay, I will watch it. <laughs> I love that that is the thing to plug, is making me watch a film. Uh, I did it, making you watch Sorcerer, so fair enough um yep. okay oh i guess i should we just talked about this off mic i have another podcast <laughs> called real perspective um it's r-e-e-l perspective uh i co-host it with two of my friends and we just did an oscars episode uh where we talked about the ceremony except we didn't because we didn't watch it uh but we we did talk about like the the films that were nominated Except we didn't because we didn't see all the films that were nominated. So we talked about the films that were nominated that we saw <laughs> and uh, just sort of did kind of a breakdown of that. Um, it's usually a current release movie podcast. Obviously, that wasn't happening a lot during the pandemic. So our release schedule has been a little irregular, um, but we have new artwork on the way and we're going to get merch very soon. And the artwork is very cool. Um and I'm very excited to show that uh, to you guys. So uh, go check it out. It's finally on Spotify. I did that last week, um, like three years too late. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can find it on Spotify. You can find it on any podcatcher now, I think. So real perspective. Mm -hmm. Very exciting. Yeah, we're super bad at like promoting our other stuff. So we've just kind of like slipped this into our episodes now where we sort of chat about um some other things going on and, and other things that we're doing. So I also have uh, another podcast. Um, so it's part of Jumpcast and I'm currently going through the uh, now 59 uh, Walt Disney animated classics. We are up to Princess and the Frog. So we have uh, ten, nine or 10 left to go. Uh, we're pretty far into it, but if you want to catch up, there are 40-something episodes you can listen to with us talking about all things Disney. Uh, you can hunt down the episodes where I somehow managed to wrangle Jaws into the conversation. That's always a fun one. Mm -hmm. um, there is more than one. You'll be pleased to <laughs> um always on brand always um so yeah you can you can find Jumpcast where wherever you find podcasts uh or if you follow me on on twitter or on instagram i i tend to share those when i share the jaws episodes as well uh new episodes come out on friday so uh it's a bumper day for podcasts featuring me on fridays uh if you like that sort of thing um also to mention um so Someone on uh, Twitter who is uh, at underscore obimoo, that's O-B-I-M-O-O, -O, uh, tagged us in a thing recently and they're doing this uh, one word film festival. Um, so I will just read their thing from Twitter. Um, so one word film festival is a virtual film festival where each participant curates their own festival program with only one rule. Only films with single word titles are allowed. No the, no a, no hyphens and almost no sequels. Uh, find the exceptions there are some out there apparently so you can have fun uh, curating your own virtual film festival which is a pretty cool idea uh, that got me racking my brains about 
films that have one word. We Jewel is one. Jewel. There we go. <laughs> Sorcerer. There's another one. Um, uh, yeah. So there we go. We've given you two films to get started, but what they are doing that we're very excited to be involved in uh, is on the 16th of May. So this runs from the 14th to the 16th of May. But on the 16th of May, uh, as they're closing gala, they're inviting as many people as able uh, to watch Jaws. Yay! So we're in, obviously, because it's Jaws. Um, so that is at 8pm, uh, that's UK time, on Sunday, 16th of May. Um, so I certainly will be joining in with that. MJ, I don't know about your your schedule or what time that is uh, in your neck of the woods, but I will probably be tweeting from the, the Jaws for a Minute account um, and joining in with the fun and games on that. So, um, so yeah, join us uh, and the other people doing the one word film festival it's hashtag owff on twitter as well um you can find that uh, and follow um obimu as i mentioned and one dot too many on twitter for info and updates um so do have a look at that and yeah that will be a fun thing to be involved in i think and truly any excuse to watch jaws i will jump on it immediately um another thing very quickly also that is happening next weekend i've got a busy weekend next weekend um is the jump cart charity initiative which is running from the 10th of may till the 11th of june um i am doing my portion of that next weekend that's the uh, well this weekend if you're listening the 15th and 16th of may um where i will be watching films and also knitting hats at the same time uh and knitting mm. hats that are inspired by the films that i'm watching so follow me and see how many hats and films i'm able to watch in a 24-hour period um I, <laughs> I dread to think how sore my hands will be by the end of that but all in the name of charity uh raising money for mind which is mental health charity and uh, india's covid response so two very worthy causes oh, great. um so follow along that um you can follow jump cart and find out all the info or me i'll be tweeting about it a lot as well and you can see uh all the things i'm able to knit hopefully i'm aiming for nine or ten uh which is the most things i will have knitted in a single weekend so let's go uh, <laughs> um and okay yes uh wrapping up now the um other ways you can support the show of course um you can rate review and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice um you can get our merch through t public and redbubble the link is in our twitter bio um you can donate uh uh coffee um uh, we would like to thank katie doe who very kindly bought us two coffees one each um so a big thank you to her for doing that the link to our coffee page is in our twitter bio um and we still have the extra incentive uh, of if you donate via our coffee page you will be entered into a draw to win some fun merch at some point um so huge thanks to everyone else who has donated through that as well and a special thank you again to katie for her donations um that's about it i have a question about that contest oh yes go ahead um <laughs> Is if someone donates multiple times, is that multiple entries or is it just one entry? Ooh, I had thought about that, but I think it will. I think it will probably just be one entry. Um, okay. I think that is as fair as we could possibly make it because um, there's obviously some people who've donated since before we sort of like decided to do this incentive thing. So I wouldn't want people to feel like they uh, could have had more chances by donating extra or something. So. I think that will that will right. work out. If we're suddenly flooded with donat <laughs> with donations, which would be great, um, then possibly uh, you might get a cheeky extra bonus okay. entry if you if you donate twice. But uh, yeah, as it stands at the moment, one entry uh, per donation. Does that sound about right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, <laughs> yeah, I just, I wasn't sure. I didn't think about it until this morning. Yeah, no, that's okay. <laughs> we'll go with that. Alrighty. I think that is everything for this week. Uh, so until next time, it's Jaws O'Clock somewhere. <laughs>